Good morning, everybody. Ooh, we're really hot this morning. There we go. I, there's actually more of you here this, today than I thought there was going to be with the weather being what it is. It is cold. This morning I was making toaster muffins and I had my hands over the toaster to just to warm them up because it was so cold. <clears throat> but it feels like Christmas, doesn't it? Yeah, seeing everything frosted in white feels like Christmas. Speaking of Christmas, my wife loves Christmas. You can, she's, she's the one here in the, in the front row with her Christmas jumper on, so that's, if that's proof enough that she loves Christmas. She would keep Christmas decorations up the whole entire year if we let her. I'm not joking when I tell you that she started watching the Santa Claus movies with Tim Allen back in September. And she's been watching them on an almost constant loop uh, for the last several months while she writes her books. She loves Christmas movies. And so when I saw a trailer for an upcoming movie called Spirited with Will Ferrell and Ryan Reynolds, maybe some of you have seen it or heard of it, uh, I knew I had to take her to see this. So uh, I, I planned a date to take her and then uh, just ended up being a whole family. All of us went to the cinema to see it a couple weeks ago. And it was good, we, we enjoyed it. Probably not as much as Joy enjoyed it, but we enjoyed it. <clears throat> it was uh, basically a new take on Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, but with a twist. And I won't tell you the twist in case you're gonna see it. Uh, and oh, keep in mind that it's a musical. We didn't, I don't think we knew that when we walked in to see it, it kind of surprised us, but uh, it's a musical. I'll, I'll try not to give too much away again if you're gonna see it, uh, but uh, at one point in the movie, Will Ferrell's character sings a song called Unredeemable. <clears throat> so here are some of the lyrics. Am I forever unredeemable? Can I ever overcome all the wrongs I'm running from? Can my worst be left behind and do I deserve to find there's a soul who could see any good in me, or will I only ever be unredeemable? It's a thought-provoking song. Maybe you felt this way. Maybe you felt like all of the wrongs you've done in your life uh, make you unredeemable. Maybe you feel like there's no hope for you. Maybe you're thinking that there's just too much sin in your life, or you've done too many horrible things to have a just God forgive you and completely clean the slate. Near the end of the song, Will Ferrell sings this. That's how I'll know. Know if I am forever unredeemable. If I'll ever be someone who makes up for all they've done. Who makes up for all they've done. Maybe like Will Ferrell's character, you think you have to earn your way to being redeemable by making up for all the bad that you've done in your life. But that's the battle we're going to lose, right? Why? Because we keep doing wrong things. We keep sinning and creating more that we need to make up for. A lot of people have been taught by religion that they need to earn their way to God by being good and doing good things. But is this what the Bible says? Can you really earn your way to God? <clears throat> Maybe to you, today you're here this morning and you feel unredeemable. Maybe today you're here because you feel like uh, sitting here in church, you're earning points toward heavenly favor. But is anyone truly unredeemable? And can you really earn your way back to God? Let's see what the Bible has to say about both of those matters. In Galatians 4, verses 4 through 7, as we read this morning, it says this. I'll read it again. 
When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. <clears throat> and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Let's start with verse 4. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Doesn't, doesn't that sound like a great uh, cover for a Christmas card? When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. God put a plan into place back in the Garden of Eden after the fall that he would redeem mankind by sending his son to die for our sins and pay the price for our transgressions. And God did this at exactly the right time. Or as verse 4 says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent his, uh, forth his son to redeem us. Redeem means to buy back. Jesus came to earth to buy back all that was lost from God. Jesus came at just the right time for the purpose of redeeming, buying back the human race. And this was Jesus' sole purpose in coming to earth as a human. Jesus willingly accepted two things. First, he became born of a woman, as it says in verse 4. Let's, let's unpack that a little bit. When Jesus was born into this world, divinity literally took on humanity. God took on flesh. As Jesus walked on this earth, he became like us, and he felt pain, hunger, joy, sorrow, weariness, and even faced temptation. God got down on our level. He experienced everything we, we experienced, but with one noticeable or one notable exception. Jesus never experienced sin. He lived a sinless, perfect life. The second thing that Jesus accepted was being born under the law, which is also mentioned in verse 4. <clears throat> Excuse me. Man's great predicament is that we are born under condemnation because we cannot live up to God's righteous standard as set forth in his law. In Romans 3.23, it says that all have sinned and fall short of God's glorious standard. God says that we all fall short except Jesus. Jesus alone lived a life that fully measured up to the righteous standard required by God through the law. Jesus lived a life that fulfilled all the requirements of God recorded in the law and the prophets. In Matthew 5, 17, Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus did what we could never do. He lived a sinless life. Nevertheless, he willingly accepted our predicament as his own. Though Jesus knew no sin, he willingly suffered our punishment in our place so that we might be made right with God. Jesus bought us back. He redeemed us at just the right time. Jesus came to purchase all of us who were under the law. Jesus saved everyone who was trying hard to obey the law but were powerless to do so. This includes me and you. 
Jesus did this not only by living a perfect life, but by offering himself as a perfect sacrifice, paying the price that we could never pay. In John 19.30, John records that Jesus' final words when he was crucified were, it is finished, before he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. This phrase, it is finished, meant that he had completed the work that he was sent to perform. He had fully paid the price for the sins of the world. And then three days later, he rose from the dead as evidence of the fact that the penalty for sin had been fully paid and that it was now possible for everyone who believes in him to belong to God. Back to Galatians 4. It says that God sent forth his son to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Talk about an amazing Christmas gift. Not only are our sins paid for and removed from us, but now we are adopted as God's own sons and daughters. You see, redemption had an ongoing purpose so that God could adopt believers as his children. Before Christ paid the price for our sins, we could have never been acceptable to God. Even our good works and our religious rituals could not bring us any closer to relationship with him. But Jesus gave freedom from the slavery people faced from their sin and brought them into a new relationship with God the Father. This new relationship goes beyond mere acceptance by God. Our relationship is restored so much that we become close enough to God to call it adoption. According to Paul in these verses, the Son of God is someone who learns to call God Abba because we are given His Spirit. Or he, I'm sorry, that He has given His Spirit to His sons. God calling, uh, or calling God Abba is uh, the most intimate language of the Jewish family. It's the equivalent of calling God Daddy or Papa. I loved it when my sons called me uh, Daddy when they were small. It was music to my ears. Uh, I remember my oldest son, whenever I'd come home from work, he, his phrase that he would always say was, Hi, Daddy, did you miss me? It almost, it almost brings tears to my eyes even now thinking about it. In those words, I knew that they loved me and that they felt loved by me. Sorry, let me recover for a second. Abba, Daddy, Papa is the intimate name that is reserved for dearly loved children to their loving father. But also there's more to this term, Abba. The Abba in Judaism, was also a commanding authority figure for the Jewish family, and children were taught to honor and respect them. Thus, this term Abba meant both the precious relationship between a child and their loving father and a term of respect and honor given from a child to their father. This term uh, invoked both relational, relational intimacy and honorable respect. As children of God, we are to relate to God both in love and admiration. There's a twofold purpose in Christ coming to pay the price for our sins and redeem us all. First, in verse 5, that we, we might receive adoption as sons. The Greek word for adoption basically combines the words son and position, which means that adoption is taking the position of a son. 
Adoption is not our means of entering into God's family. As Jesus told Nicodemus in in John 3, uh, the only way to do that is to be born again. Rather, adoption speaks of our privilege and standing within God's family. The moment we are born again, we are placed in an adopted state as heirs of God with all the rights and the privileges that go along with that title. The Son of God took our position on the cross, paying for our sins, in order that we might in turn take the position as sons of God, becoming heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. The second objective in God's twofold twofold purpose in sending Christ to redeem us is so that we might receive the spirit of his Son. Take a look at verse 6. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Because we are adopted sons and daughters, we have the spirit of the only begotten son in our hearts. And because of this, we can cry, Abba, and God will respond. Verse 7 tells us that because of this work of Christ in our life, we are no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. We are no longer slaves to sin or slaves to the law. Instead, we are adopted into God's family as God's own child. God has promised us freedom in Christ and an inheritance of eternal life. Now, if you remember at the beginning of the sermon, I I asked two questions. The first one was, is anyone truly unredeemable? And my second question is, can you earn your way to redemption? Now, in light of what we've just read in Galatians 4, I'd like to start with the first question. As we discussed, redeemed essentially means to buy back something or someone. To redeem something is to recover ownership of it by paying a specified sum. I once had several items stolen from uh, my house when my house was broken into when I was in my early 20s. I knew who stole the items, and I tracked them down to a local pawnbroker or pawn shop. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with that here, but it's a place where you can bring items and receive money for them, and then they sell them at a much higher price. Unfortunately, even though the items were mine, in order to get them back, I would have to pay the price set by the pawn shop. If I bought those stolen items again, they would be twice mine. Once when I originally bought them, and then again by redeeming them from their stolen status. This is what God did. He created the human race, and we belonged to God. Then, because of our rebellion and sin, we walked away from God and were stolen from our perfect relationship with Him. Then God sent Jesus, His only Son, to buy us back. Jesus paid the price to redeem us and to restore us to our rightful relationship. God bought us twice. Can someone be truly unredeemable? No. No sin is too great to be redeemed from. The only sin that cannot be forgiven is rejecting Jesus Christ. By accepting Jesus as our Savior, we are saved from God's wrath that abides in all who reject Jesus. God's wrath is rightfully due everyone who has not yet trusted in Christ. 
But when we accept God's gift of redemption, we are redeemed by the birth of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the passion of Jesus, the death of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Besides rejecting Jesus, is there a sin so great that God cannot forgive it? No. And if we think that our sins are too great, we are essentially saying that Christ's death on the cross was not enough to redeem us. Scripture is clear that redemption is only possible through the shed blood of Jesus. The streets of heaven will be filled with former captives to sin who through no merit of their own find themselves redeemed, forgiven, and free. People who were once slaves to sin are now called saints. Sinners are turned into sons and daughters of God. The benefits of redemption include eternal life, forgiveness of sins, righteousness, freedom from the curse of the law, adoption into God's family, deliverance from sin's bondage, peace with God, and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Being redeemed means that we are God's purchased property. As I said before, before Jesus died on the cross, his last words were, it is finished, which in the Greek means past, paid in full or completed. Jesus paid it all, and his atoning death is enough for all of the sins of all humans who have ever lived or will ever live. And now let's discuss the second question. Can we earn our way to redemption? This is an easy answer that is tough for us to accept. Earning our way to God seems right in the eyes of man, doesn't it? One of our basic desires is to be in control of our own destiny, and that includes our eternal destiny. We want to feel like we are in control. Salvation by good works appeals to our pride and our desire to be in control. Our inherent sense of right and wrong demands that if we are to be saved, our good works should outweigh our bad works. This is why almost every religion except biblical Christianity seems to preach that we can earn redemption through our good works. But the Bible tells us differently. Salvation is a gift of God and not of works. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Thinking that we can earn our own redemption shows that we don't fully understand our own sinfulness and the extent of it. Or we don't completely understand God's complete holiness. The thought that a man's good works could ever balance out his bad works is a totally unbiblical concept. Not only that, but the Bible teaches that God's standard is nothing less than 100% perfection. God's law is there to show us that we could never live up to his holy standards. If we fall short in keeping just one part of God's righteous law, we are as guilty as if we had broken all of it. James 2.10 says, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. 
Therefore, there is no way we could ever be saved if salvation were truly dependent on our works. Our salvation, our redemption is dependent upon one thing and one thing only. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If we place our trust in Jesus, he alone can redeem us. So I guess essentially, yes, works are required for salvation, but Scripture is clear that those works are Christ's and not ours. It was the sacrifice of Jesus that justifies sinners. Romans 3.24 says that we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now, if you're here this morning and you haven't accepted this free gift of grace and acknowledge that you are a sinner who needs to be saved, then I would invite you today to accept the best Christmas gift that we could ever receive, a restored relationship with our Abba Father, eternal salvation and a clean slate when it comes to our record of sins. All you have to do to accept this gift is to pray to God, admit you are a sinner needing to be saved, and then place your faith and trust in Jesus. That's it. And once you do that, you are born again, and being born again means that you are adopted into God's family as sons and daughters of God. Now, I won't make you raise your hand or stand up this morning if you feel that God's drawing you to make this decision, but if you do feel like God is speaking to you today, please find myself Jason, any of the elders that are here this morning, uh, we would love to talk to you, give you a Bible, and and, uh, let you know about what to do next. Christmas is about redemption. God sent Jesus to earth to redeem mankind. It was a tremendous act of love that God sacrificed his only begotten son to buy us back to himself. In John 3.16, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his own, one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. The true meaning of Christmas is the celebration of this incredible act of love. The real story of Christmas is the story of God becoming a human being in the person of Jesus Christ. Why would God do such a thing? Because he loves us deeply. This is why the first Christmas was necessary. Because we needed a savior. We celebrate Christmas every year out of gratitude for what God did for us. The true meaning of Christmas is love. God loved us and he provided a way, the only way for us to spend eternity with him. He gave his only son to take our punishment for our sins. He paid the price in full and now we are free from condemnation and when we accept that free gift of love, we are redeemed, bought back at a great price, paid for with the precious blood of Jesus. Tell you a quick story. A pastor of a church once met a young boy in town carrying a, a large rusty cage 
in which several birds fluttered nervously. The pastor inquired, son, where did you get those birds? I trapped them out in the field, the boy explained. What are you going to do with them? I'm going to play with them, and then I guess I'll just feed them to an old cat that we have at home. When the pastor offered to buy the birds, the lad said, Mister, you don't want these birds. They're just old, ugly birds, and they don't sing very well. And the pastor replied, I'll give you all of the coins in my pocket for the cage and the birds. And the boy could see it was a pretty large sum of change in his pocket. So he agreed and said, all right, but you're making a terrible deal. So the exchange was made, and the boy went away whistling, happy with his new shiny coins. The pastor took the cage, walked around the back of the church property, opened the door of the small wire cage, and let the struggling birds fly off into the sky and into freedom. The next Sunday, the pastor took the empty cage to the pulpit, and he used it for his sermon to illustrate Christ's coming to seek and save those who, like the birds, were destined for destruction. The difference was that Christ had to purchase our freedom with his own life. Theologian J.I. Packer once said, the Christmas message is there, I'm sorry, the Christmas message is that there is hope for a ruined humanity, hope of pardon, hope of peace with God, hope of glory, Because at the Father's will, Jesus became poor and was born in a stable so that 30 years later, he might hang on a cross. This Christmas, as we think about the little baby born in a manger, let us not forget that that baby was born to die for the purpose of redeeming all mankind. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Abba, Daddy, we are humbled by all that you've done for us. We are blessed beyond measure by your love and sacrifice for our redemption. We are in awe that you would put so much value on our eternal destiny that you would sacrifice your very own son to die on our behalf. Help us to appreciate the true value of what you've done for us. As we celebrate Christmas this year, help us to remember the sacrifice that you made for us to rescue us from destruction. We love you and we praise you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.